Well, good morning. I thought I would just um, share why I came up with the phrase, the tragedy of trauma. It's pretty universal, but I'm just going to stick uh, to my story, because that's where I've realized how important my story is to my healing, as well as to the story that I want to tell, essentially healing others of this anxiety, the depression, the mood disorder, trauma, inflammation, autoimmune disease, you name it, they all tend to have a source. That source is in suffering. Right? So, again, telling my story, uh, not unlike St. John of the Cross, who had to write some of his greatest stories uh, in his head as he was locked up in a closet. And I don't see it much different for myself, uh, because I have spent most of my life locked up in a closet, unable to tell my own story because of my severe dyslexia, whatever you want to call it. I was unable to learn on a computer, even today, trying to read a meme on, a, on, a, on the telephone screen. I have to go through it three or four times uh, before I can actually read, but I'm actually able to read uh, physical books at a much faster rate than I used to. Long story short, this goes back to about 2016, 2018. I can't remember when I first read Gabor Mate's um, In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. That's when I realized there was a possibility that I wasn't permanently disabled with dyslexia, that it might have been a developmental disability, something that re uh, relates to my traumatic childhood. And uh, just had some traumatic uh, memories come up trying to use loving compassion. Give you an example where um, how trauma can be so reactive and subconscious. And you don't even think about it. So after I had had my most serious experience of derealization, depersonalization, and disassociation, I actually had to make my wife move cities with me because I couldn't stand the thought of running into any of the people that had traumatized me. So we changed cities, and we'd been in that city for a while, and we were, um, in fact, didn't even have a phone, because uh, we couldn't afford one. Uh, eventually, someone gave me one of those uh, internet telephone dongles, so we got a year's worth of telephone, because it came bundled with a year. We were never able to renew it, plus it was pretty rough to begin with. So at that time, we were really hard done by Long story short, I had remembered this experience where I couldn't go back uh, to my hometown if I wanted to, never mind the trauma, because um, I just couldn't afford it. I actually had to leave the bank um, and another job in finance because of stress and trauma. But I didn't realize it wasn't the individual incidents that I'd run into. Like I had a coworker who was, oh my God, an evil, toxic, psychic, and almost physical vampire. One of these people who used religion to justify their toxicity and their literally treat cheating people, right? I'll give you a warning. If you go to an auto dealership, you'll get uh, most likely not me. Someone who sold based on value, didn't jam anybody into anything. What you'll probably get is someone who will cajole you, uh, convince you, uh, force you, whatever they can do to get you to buy their junk. Most of it's uh, overpriced by about three, four, five times what it should be. Ten times overpriced, but five times what it should be. $1,000 for a rust module. No. Cost them about a hundred bucks, uh, 
and then maybe $80 labor tops. So, you know what I mean? A couple hundred bucks, absolute tops. Um, and I used to do that. That's what used to piss them off, right? If someone's like, no, I'm not paying a thousand bucks, well, I would take a $500 sale. I mean, I put 250 bucks in the dealership's pocket, and I got 50 bucks, right? The customer got a, a deal on the rust module, right? If it was someone who saw the benefit of it, someone who saw the benefit of rust proofing, wanted to keep their vehicle long term, but maybe didn't see the benefit of going every year, paying $100 every year for rust proofing undercoating, that's gone up since. Long story short, I was pretty sick, right? Separated from the family. So, Nobody told me my grandmother was dying. She was my lady, my grandmother, a traumatized lady. Uh, she grew up during the Depression. Uh, she moved down to Toronto uh, when she was a teen for some adventure. Worked in the Inglis uh, plant. Uh, I think she made magazines or binoculars, and my grandfather made magazines or binoculars. It was vice versa. Uh, both working at the Inglis plant. Um, she was there for adventure. He was a local from Toronto. Uh, devout Baptist, by the way, which is funny, who had a, a gambling problem. So, <laughs> oh boy, it's funny we hear from the Pope that uh, priests have a, a prawn problem. So this is nothing new. But so they got together, and sadly my poor grandmother was made to move back home. My grandfather wasn't too happy about it either because, of, I mean, he was, wow, very rural at the time, Northern Ontario. He left Toronto uh, in the 40s. Oh, terrible. To work at a, a little a grocery store as their meat cutter, their, bar, their, bar, their butcher. It was just up the road from where they lived. So imagine how small your world had, had, had become. Right? You'd lost your culture, your community, uh, your identity. Um, right? So my grandmother went south to uh, find her identity. My grandfather lost his coming north. And never mind. Uh, some other stress. Right, so they had a ton of stress in their marriage. Their first child died. Uh, was born with spinal bifida and worse. Just didn't survive. Uh, survived, I think, hours, maybe days. So that was an incredible trauma to the family. And I do believe they were never the same. It wasn't just my grandfather's gambling or any other issues that my grandmother... It seems my grandmother might have been a narcissist or she had been so severely traumatized. I have no idea about her family. But she did have the symptoms of narcissism, either being one influenced by, what have you, because my, my mother is 100% uh, either trained to be a narcissist uh, and think like a narcissist or is 100% a narcissist. Um, so this poor lady lost her first child and she had another, which was my mother. No doubt she was stressed during the whole time. I mean, I'm stressed over my laptop dying because I've had a couple of them die before similarly start to show some issues. So I can well imagine the stress uh, of a mother who had lost a child getting pregnant again and, and how that would have impacted my grandmother in the womb. Again, Gabor Mate talked about how prenatal and postnatal and early childhood traumas can cause these developmental disabilities, can cause this lifelong what I call trauma-informed adaptation. So fast forward to my mother's born and then brother and the stories I heard of them growing up. Uh, my brother was more of the fawn in the trauma type. My mother was more of the fight or flight. Right? My uncle, sorry. My uncle, her brother. 
Uh, he was more of the please and appease. And my mother was uh, just, what do you got to rebel against? So that's why I mentioned one of my earliest traumas isn't just my experience, because when I open that box of trauma, I find in it my grandmother's box of trauma, and my grandfather's box of trauma, my brother's box of trauma, my uncle's box of trauma, my mother's box of trauma. All this goes to influence you. But I mentioned this, this idea of identity and how traumatic it can be to be disconnected from your identity. And so as I mentioned, I, they picked out the name for me. It was, and I'll tell you what it was, because it's interesting. Peter James. Right? Very religious, kind of funny. Being, uh, being on one side of the family, English of Baptist. Uh, on my uh, other side, uh, Indian influence, but uh, Irish going all the way back to, uh, to Aaron. A couple hundred years ago. But like I said, a lot of a lot of intermixing along the way once we arrived here in Canada. Right? So there's a lot of trauma in there. We'll talk about right to the indigenous, my grandmother, my uh, grandfather when he came back uh, from serving in the Second World War. Never mind the trauma of that. I think I can even share one of those. Uh, my grandfather served over 30 missions, something that other countries would have uh, rotated them out. But no, he stayed. In fact, he even had one mission that had to be aborted because they dropped the bombs on the wrong thing, supposedly. And that's what caused him his most, uh, most extreme amount of, of trauma. Right, so he came home and he threw away most of his medals. One of the most uh, highly decorated uh, bomber navigators in the Second World War. I think not just for Canadians. considering what he served, how long he served, uh, the medals he, award, he was awarded, how many times he flew over occupied Europe, never mind just regular uh, milk runs. No, most of his runs were over serious, serious targets. Came home a number of times uh, damaged. Almost didn't come home a number of times, supposedly. Lost crew members, but served the entire time. Pretty low chance. So never mind that trauma. But when he came back, um, his war bride, which was my father's mother, his war bride, uh, who was an English lady uh, from Nottinghamshire, used to keep my father home from school to drink with her when he was a, a child. Right? She was traumatized by the Blitz and Lord knows what else. The abuse of alcohol during the war. My grandfather was the same. He became a raging alcoholic as well. Again, I cut him a little slack because of, uh, because of what he had uh, gone through. He gave him himself. But the real beautiful story that was never really highlighted in our family was that when that war bride returned to, to England, because she just couldn't handle it, she, she took two of the kids, my uncle uh, and my aunt. They went back, left my father here. He was the old so my father without a mother, never mind, she was never really much of a mother, I guess. That's, I know, that's, that's rhetoric. Um, I'm sure even if she was doing terrible things, she's still the mother. But that's a whole other discussion. Sometimes uh, your mother can be more damaging than nurturing. 
right? Because don't forget, two of the major traumas, especially for kids, is did you get the nurturing you needed, or were you, you know, neglected, or were you abused? Imagine if you were all the above. But for me, there is this beautiful lady, Algonquin, by the Mississauga, I believe, uh, indigenous lady, son of the chief of the band she grew up in. So imagine the connection to her community, to her culture, to her identity. My, well, I forgot to mention that my family actually was involved uh, with two separate reserves up in northern Ontario. My grandfather being an architect, um, and he was uh, uh, very charitable when it came uh, to all identities. And that included the indigenous. Because again, I mentioned this, I don't know if it's why, I don't know the motivation, it's not something we could talk about back then. But I understand it as we were quite open about the fact that our family, having settled in the Ottawa Valley um, just before the potato famine, uh, so we were subject to an incredible amount of discrimination, myself included, in my lifetime. I've been subject to multiple incidents of discrimination, racism, whatever you want to call it, uh, but most particularly in the last 20 years for being Irish. My name being Irish. But what's hilarious is in high school I was subject to discrimination for possibly being indigenous. Not because anyone knew of my family history, not at all. Not because I even passed. I really don't know what I look like, but I don't pass for any of these identities in my family tree. But it was because, I'm sure of this, I treated the indigenous students like human beings. Because again, our family lore had me settled in the Ottawa Valley, and we intermixed, because we were Irish, less than human, less than dogs. So of course, our choice for a family was indigenous people, because we were both treated as less than. Not to mention the French, but that actually, my family history predates that. Um, my original family actually left Ireland uh, because they were chased for some supposed regicide or attempted uh, regicide the king. So they went to France. They served uh, the French king. Uh, was even awarded, the family was even awarded uh, vineyards. Uh, but they were lost during the French Revolution. Interestingly, my family supported the French Revolution, which was funny. Even though he, uh, he fought for the king, he was actually against the English as well. So he was really about freedom. I think this is a big part of my family identity, right? Because the Irish, we don't carry it around like a millstone, but we've been subject to an incredible amount of discrimination for centuries. So my family went to France to fight the English so the Irish could be free. Right? Having Gobra. This idea, long live Ireland. So he supported the French Revolution, these, these ideals of freedom and equality for all. But sadly, after the French Revolution, he had his So he returned to, uh, to Ireland. Interestingly enough, he returned to Ireland with his wife. His wife happened to be, and this is where my uh, family history gets woo, really weird, so hold on tight. He returned to Ireland with his wife, the daughter of Comte d'Eon. Comte d'Eon de, de la Tonnerre. Uh, he was a French nobleman. Uh, also... One of the first super spies of our modern era, 
who worked for the French uh, as an agent secret. Uh, it was the secret uh, service of uh, King Louis. Really quite interesting. But why he becomes incredibly interesting is father of my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, whatever she happened to be. Why he's interesting. So my relative on my great-great-great-great-grandmother's side, the Comte d'Homme, de Tonnerre, he was the first, I don't know what we'd call him, ambiguously sexed spy? Because the Comte not only served the king, but I guess he had kind of upset in the new king. I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head. I apologize. Not much for skills. The problem for the king was he did such a great job for him. Spied for him for years. What did he do? The Comte d'Homme dressed as a woman to infiltrate the Russian court. And he did this for years, never having got caught till long after. So the hubbub of him having been, uh, what do you call it, uh, a cross-dressing spy, you know, paled compared to service to France. But of course there was some, you know, cancel culture and propaganda even at that time. So there was some hubbub about whether or not he really was a transvestite. It's kind of funny because the king actually made him wear a dress uh, in France uh, for years. Just as kind of like a punishment. It's really quite a, an interesting piece of history. But that's my connection to France, the French Revolution. Uh, not to mention um, that same relative, the, the, the Irishman uh, that married uh, the daughter of Comte d'Eon. He actually gave uh, Benjamin Franklin his tour, his introductions around France. You can see that online. Uh, they exchange letters back and forth. Um, but, so imagine having that intergenerational trauma. The indigenous trauma, my grandmother loved my grandfather so much that she gave up her identity as an indigenous person. Gave up her status. Not just the legal status that the Indian Act in Canada says that you're not an Indian unless we define you as such. It's dehumanizing alone the fact that there's a separate separate definition for what the Indian is versus what another Canadian is. We're all Canadian. We're all human. It's disgusting we still have the Indian Act. But never mind that. Her culture mandated that she was no longer part of the clan because she married outside of the clan. Imagine that disconnect. And I don't doubt that had a lot to do with trauma because they didn't want to lose their people to mention. Because of course there'd be a, you know, like do you want to live on a reserve, dirt poor, and your children, you want your children to survive and live. I mean, I have no doubt that this bifurcation of, uh, of identity can be sourced in the fact that they were just trying to protect their culture and their identity and they knew how weak people are. Look at what we've just gone through. 80% of people uh, would go uh, with the current thing. But imagine that trauma. We never gave up our Irish identity. I think I've mentioned this before. 
we never said we were all Irish. We just talked about how it was a big part of who we were as a family, our culture. We also didn't ignore the indigenous. I mean, I gave a story recently that someone didn't realize that I stand with the religious, not the atheists. I'm agnostic, I'm unsure, I think that's the proper stance. You can't know one way or the other. But because I had spent most of my life as, a, I guess you'd say, an atheist, I thought I would stand with the atheists. I argue we probably don't even stand with most agnostics, because I can't know either way. Most agnostics are atheists that just won't commit. <laughs> Whereas me, I was atheist, in, mainly because people didn't understand what it meant, so I switched to agnostic because people just didn't understand that when I said atheist, I was just against you know the current organized religion as defined by man, but I can't define what is like you know a governing, controlling, connecting power. So I can't know, I can't doubt, uh, or have absolute faith in. But I trust, based on what evidence I do have, that, never mind you know, empirical evidence, I'm just saying, I can't know. I would be absolutely, what would you call it, behind the eight ball. Because as a human creature. I can't know what the system is. I mean, it's similar to what I said before. As a, uh, If you're a person trapped in this loop that we call the self, it's impossible for you to understand um, what the system is from within. Right? So, trauma after trauma after trauma. The tragedy of trauma. So, I mean... My grandfather is a victim of trauma because uh, of what he went through during the war. My father, victim of trauma because of what his mother did to him back in England. Um, what his mother here in Canada, the only mother that he really knew from a teen on up, and me, the only grandmother that I ever knew on the father's side. I didn't know her as... I was older. I didn't know her as anything but my grandmother. I didn't understand or know about, right? They treated uh, the relatives we spoke to maybe three times over in England uh, during my childhood. We, they just treated it as other relatives mentioned about his brother and sister, but they never really went into the details, right? So I always grew up with this uh, wonderful indigenous lady as my grandmother who had given everything to support this vet damaged horribly damaged vet. But see, this is what I realized. He was predisposed uh, to be traumatized by the war, as was my grandmother, predisposed to be traumatized by all of this treatment, by him, uh, by their experience, by their ostracization, ostracization from society. Because even then, it wasn't acceptable. Like, I never shied away from our identity but it was not something that you could really talk about because it was weird to people. Even people that knew who I was were kind of weird about it, right? Because it is weird because it's a completely different identity. The, the Irish side, the uh, indigenous side, the Indian side, there's something that people just can't understand. And the biggest problem is that disconnect from identity, right? I knew how I was. 
right? The son of a vet, grandson of a vet, traumatized by that, traumatized by physical abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, victim of a really early head trauma. So, I mean, that causes a systematic inflammatory response throughout the body, which causes mood and anxiety. And so, even if I wasn't the victim of um, domestic violence, uh, whatever you call it, childhood abuse, I likely would have been predisposed to uh, complex trauma because of the, uh, the the head injury. But as I started this, Gabriel Mate's book in 2018 made me realize this began way before that. Because I actually remember my mother's history. So my mother, just like my grandmother, had trouble her first, first uh, child. But this was out of wedlock. So at the time, in the 60s, or late 50s, I can't quite remember, don't quote me, might be, might be mid-50s, late-50s, but at the time, that was not okay. So she had to go to another town and give the kid up for adoption, which she did. Trauma enough, right, young mother? She ended up marrying the man. So imagine losing your child because of social convention, but she took that on. She, she never internalized that trauma because she, like I said, the qualities of narcissism in my mother show the self that obviously she should have known her children to be traumatized. But if they act out in any way showing that trauma, that was uh, bad light on her. So that's the symptom of narcissism. She doesn't have to be a narcissist. But when she, when she doesn't see the trouble that her, her, her children are going through, as a result of their history, her history, her actions, if she just wants them to pipe down, not make a scene, that's narcissism. Right? I ran into that myself as far as a reaction. Um, if my wife tries to tell me to you know, calm down or not be so loud, I'm like, fuck you, I'll be as loud as I want. That's just the way I am. Pardon my language, I apologize. It's just this automatic reaction that we talk about. Right, I would not, that's not me, but it takes me back to my childhood when, you know, my father just kicked me down three flights of stairs and split my lip wide open with, with a, a right hook, right? He was a boxer in the Navy with like 11 and 0 record, no cartilage in his nose, or his, like ears all cauliflowered up because he fought, fought tooth and nail, loved it, but this is a very young teenager being beaten the heck out of. One who is more fawn than fight or flight because it was unacceptable. If I at all raised a concern, here's the example. Uh, I picked up the phone to call Children's Aid and my mother took the phone and told them that I was just overreacting. Even though I was standing there bleeding, I still have the scar from that incident. And yet that incident, I was standing up for her. Yeah, he was threatening her, so I stood in to protect her and that's why he kicked me down. I think it was two flights of stairs, technically. But yeah, got up on the landing of the first flight and said, you know, F you, F you, this is why I'm sorry it came up. Uh, this just automatic with my trauma. Kicked down the second flight, bleeding profusely, spitting the blood while I told him all of these expletives. Come on. Um, you know what I mean? And you should have seen the fear in his eyes that I didn't step down. So that was when I changed, when I realized that fawning, please and appease was not the only way. That I could stand up for myself. And it's been 30 years for me to get back to that. 
But what was I getting to embarrassing? So I just realized this morning. So here's, like I said, I began this example. We had to move towns because of my uh, trauma, not just the one trauma. I've had dozens, if not hundreds. We had to leave town because this most recent I had to stop work because it made my autoimmune disease explode to the point where I could barely do anything but suffer on a daily basis because I was so tormented between chronic pain, uh, the skin disease, uh, my trauma, uh, anxiety, depression, you name it. It was absolutely horrible. So my grandmother got sick. Nobody told me, right? She was in the hospital for a while. Uh, and my mother didn't call. No. And what's funny about this is I realized I felt guilty about this incident and this experience. I felt guilty that I didn't go up north. I felt guilty I didn't call because I had a couple times called and hung up rather than speak to the two of them because they're just toxic. They wouldn't let me speak to my grandmother. They'd force me to talk to them and they're crap. Narcissists. Instead of realizing that if my grandmother wants to speak to me, let me speak to her. So I felt guilty that I hung up instead of fighting with them to speak to my grandmother. Uh, and I felt guilty, even though they didn't bother calling me before she died. This is long after she's passed, after even her funeral. So I didn't even get to see that. My brother messaged me on Facebook and says, Ah, your, your grandmother died. Oh, gosh. So without even thinking, this is where I, this morning, realized. This is the narrative theory and the self-inquiry. What was my automatic reaction? I actually got drunk on rye. I hate rye and always have. It was a bottle of uh, CC. What is that? Canadian Club? I hate Canadian Club. It was a bottle that I don't know why we moved from the house when we had to lose the house again because of trauma. Lost my wife's house. So that's something I'm never going to get over. But we had to move town. But we brought the booze. I don't know why. It's just, you know, what little we had, we held on to. But I drank that, got drunk, and then I called. Right, never even struck me. I've been feeling guilty for ten years or more that I got drunk. That I hadn't been drunk in probably years, years, years and years. But again, this is how trauma can just shut down your thinking brain, and you will just react. And no surprise, my my father's original weapon of choice was rye. Then he, he moved to beer as if that was any better, but you drink a couple dozen beer or you end up with such a low tolerance for alcohol that you're stumbling drunk at three beer. It doesn't matter what you put in your body. But I had a horrible drunk once with some really cheap uh, scotch, really cheap rye, uh, and both of those just turned me off of the flavor altogether and the taste, and, and I just hated being drunk. And No, none of that happened consciously. None of it, right? Same as my understanding of all this, right? I think these therapists misunderstand that, yes, it's super important to understand about source of trauma, but it's, it's a complete package. You have to understand your trauma. You have to manage it to a certain extent so that you can remember. But what you're going to remember is the wrong memories. It's going to be the percepted, child traumatized, you name it, uh, Whatever experience you had that ended up becoming a traumatic type uh, experience developing into uh, trauma-informed adaptations is 100% probably not what really happened. 
right, going back and remembering what happened. Right? Here I've been feeling guilty as if this was all my fault. I had a lot to be responsible for, but it wasn't my responsibility in so many of these situations. Even more so that the weird affect of the traumatized is you blame yourself for some of these reactions. The fact that I got drunk and, and called and I was a bit of a jerk. Not in the way you think. They deserved it, but yeah. I felt guilty for subconscious or unconscious reactions as a result of my trauma. Right? I mean, I even realized another situation here. I had to cut ties with my mother again because for the third time, uh, this lady um, is beyond toxic. She's not interested in trying to help us heal. Um, to make herself feel better that uh, she, you know, started coming down and taking us to Costco because, again, you know, we have a very specific diet and limited in what we can do. And she thought that would help us out, and it certainly did. I'd love a sponsorship from Costco because, I mean, I wouldn't be able to maintain my health if it wasn't for Costco. But she brought down her friend, her friend who toxified our relationship the last time because when my mother kept coming down with her dramas and depressions and just being a toxic, horrible person to be around, I literally said to her, listen, like, we are dealing with our own shit. We can't have you come down here and be this horrible and toxic. And just like my father, when I told him he couldn't use me uh, to get back at my mother during the divorce thing, um, she cut all ties. She said, oh, well, I'll talk with you then. And she left. Seriously. And when she called, she wanted to give me crap because I was, how dare I? Even though her own doctor told her that she needed to see a therapist and get on medication because of how horribly toxic and nasty she had become. But this friend of hers, when I told Sharon not to call because I wouldn't speak to her anymore and she was just, just um, stressing out my wife, so I said, stop. She had her friend call and tell me how horrible person I am because, you know, my mother, what she had done for me. And I'm like, Really? Do you even know what my mother have, has done for me? Used me as her uh, protection from an abusive alcoholic? Leaving me at home to be beaten and abused by that man while she went out uh, gallivanting with her girls, with her ladies, with her friends, right? Scotia bankers. Yeah, she actually would join just about any group that she could just to stay away, leaving her children with an abusive alcoholic that she was afraid of. Imagine how her children felt. But no, this lady's telling me, oh, oh you don't understand. You're... So fast forward 10 years when I explained what this lady had done again and how, why, and she, my mother keeps, oh, I don't understand why. Even though I've explained it a dozen times, I don't understand because she won't think about it. As a narcissist, she does nothing wrong. So well, I can be as a jerk officer as I want. And she would tell me over and over again that I just get over it. She'd just get over it. By the way, for the traumatized, that's just horrible. But imagine if you're dealing with an autoimmune disease caused by this sort of history. 
it's not something you can just get over. Never mind that 10 years later, I finally got diagnosed that this is an incurable disease, not something you just get over. But this is what she does. You get over it, get over it. Fast forward 10 years, she brings her friend down. No, no, let me correct that. The only reason why she's even coming down to see us is because her friend is originally from here, so she goes down with her as a co-pilot, right? Because they were coming down to visit her family. Imagine the disgustingness. Doesn't contact us in any way, but she's supporting somebody else's grandchildren. Nieces and nephews, technically. But she brings this person down, and this person's so toxic that every time we go out, she has to make a comment about how much we're spending or how much we're getting, to the point where I just said, no, we're not going to get anything else. Did they apologize? Did they, no, wouldn't even listen to us. To the point where I actually had to tell them, like, once again, if you're just going to come down and be toxic and, you know, make these horrible jokes, making us feel bad, because as a traumatized person, particularly from childhood trauma, you don't ask for help. And if you do ask for help and they make you feel guilty, that's just a toxic shame. It's narcissism. But I didn't realize till this morning the reason why I got so mad is because just like defending my father, the abuser, in this case, she had the gall to tell me that I traumatized her friend. How? By asking her not to re-traumatize us every time she came down. Oh, that re-traumatized her because it reminded her of her brother. Oh my gosh. So I just realized this morning the reason why I told my mother to get lost after that incident is because, well, it was the next incident, actually. I, you know, I just said, yeah, whatever, get lost. She tried to come by again after two years blaming on the COVID, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Even though there's actual medical issues surrounding it, I was right about this whole situation, both for my medical situation uh, with my severe allergies, my autoimmune disease, the inflammatory problems I have. Never mind the fact that we only had it once back in 2019 and we've never had it since. But she said she didn't come around because she was worried about the coof. That's weird. But when she showed up, she said, oh, it was because they didn't think you wanted to have that lady around. Um, yeah, no, I didn't want that lady around. But what did she do? She actually brought her here. And even allowed her to give me a hug. And I'm like, you just don't get it, do you? And I didn't get it till today that that just brought me right back to when she was defending the abuser, Pat. Another abuser, she's defending that I'm just supposed to get over. So the fact that it's just get over it. I tried to explain it to her how that all connects, but not until the last couple years and certainly working on self-inquiry have I realized that the real problem wasn't just her saying, get over it. It was also her defending this lady. It's also her ignoring history. It's also her acting as the narcissist that has caused this toxified relationship from the get-go. It's the tragedy of trauma. Because my doctor, I thought, was telling me the truth, but was just lying or obfuscating, told me that, uh, a complex trauma diagnosis is, is complicated. <laughs> Why is it complicated? Well, because we don't have such a thing in Canada, really. Because let me give you an example. The DSM-5 doesn't have complex trauma, doesn't have developmental trauma or it's childhood trauma, has PTSD, um, but that's a separate thing because I've ran into that myself. I told you that I was thrown into mindfulness-based cognitive therapy 
before they've added in impermanence and all this other stuff that should have been taken from Buddhism. So it made me worse, way worse. It took me over a year to heal from my experiences with supposed health practitioners. The one lady from Hamilton, uh, you know, uh, what have you, uh, general, uh, part of their mental health program, she just destroyed me because she just picked up and ran out of the room when I told her challenging my anxieties was making me feel worse. Like, am I ever going to get over this? She ran out of the room. Then the Canadian Mental Health Association yells at me because I did my anxieties out of a 1 to 5 rather than a 1 to 10. Never mind that she never even asked me about my childhood trauma or anything else. Just ask me about, you know, you're anxious, try this. Never mind asking me if I was dyslexic, you know, giving me these handouts. Is it any surprise that I might have gotten the numbers wrong? Never mind as a complex trauma survivor, challenging my anxieties without uh, a safe space, let alone an understanding of impermanence of these things, is it's beyond the pale. It's contraindicated now. It's just absolutely the opposite of what we're supposed to do. But as I said, it took me years to get over how I've been treated by these doctors. Never mind the medication I was put on over and over again that just made things worse. And I was blamed for why it wouldn't work. I found out recently in one of my courses that these doctors use this uh, medication adverse depression as a way of saying this guy's not going to heal. Well, no, if you had stopped and realized, oh, no, it's more complicated. Like just controlling my inflammation and mentioning how important a microbiome is, which he laughed and made fun of me of originally and three years later said, oh, no, no, that's a thing. But never once did he stop and go, well, yes, I guess eating properly and getting your proper vitamins and minerals so you can feed the system that produces your neurotransmitters. No, 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 that's pseudoscience. Tell me again how the factory that builds your, your neurotransmitters that leads to your feeling of contentment and wellness and, and, and literally the sense of self, you know, indirectly. Tell me how that's pseudoscience. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just cannot get over this. Same as when I said how important it was to manage what we eat as a patient with this hydrogenitis uh, superativa. I say superativa because it's such an awesome disease. I was kicked out of groups years ago for suggesting a diet link. My own doctor made fun of me for suggesting as much. And yet, guess what's been added to the protocol for my disease? Everything I've been saying for years, probiotics, uh, mindfulness, meditation, calm, uh, auto-inflammatory uh, or what they call autoimmune protocol diet, like maybe even personalize it. That's starting to be discussed that you can't just throw people on one diet. It has to be personalized. Food elimination. I've been made fun of that for years and now it's the mainstream fasting. I was told I was a pseudoscience nut. Mainstream. Yet, at the same time, I used to criticize people uh, who supported homeopathy, right? Or a functional doctor that was just a pseudoscience peddler uh, in, in sheep's clothing. No, no, I'm the problem. Because, oh, he's a functional doctor, so that means anything he says goes, even if it is actual pseudoscience, right? Taking silver, co colloidal silver. What? That's not a functional doctor. That's a snake oil salesman. 
But no. But no. Let's not include, as I said, Gabriel Mate and all of these shrinks have said, let's not even ask the person their personal history. Never mind what they're eating. I told you, I asked my doctor because my theory uh, was that they just get tired of telling people. And he agreed. I think it's worse than that. I think they just don't care because they don't have enough time and they're worried about other things. You have to be concerned about your diet because that is everything. Everything. Because you can't do anything without it. If you don't eat, you're going to die. If you don't eat properly, no medication is going to make up for that. Right? So, my realization this morning, I apologize, roundabout, is, is the tragedy of trauma. If my family were to have known that what they're dealing with is, it's just, it's something they don't even realize. It could be a pre-verbal trauma. It could be something they don't even realize. But why is it a tragedy of trauma? Well, because here in Canada, the DSM-5 doesn't recognize childhood trauma or complex trauma, which is way harder to deal with than PTSD. But it is in the International Classifier of Diseases, uh, the 11th edition. And yet Canada has only recognized PTSD in 2018. Like I said, I've discussed this with Veterans Affairs here in Canada, and they have no concept of, of training people about the fact that trauma is guaranteed. It's how you perceive it and how you carry forward that matters. So they have no concept of training these soldiers and their families prior to trauma. They only have a protocol for after. Right. So the tragedy of trauma is not only do we not recognize it as a thing, we don't recognize how universal it is. Almost guaranteed everyone has experienced at least a small T trauma, most likely a large T trauma as well. Doesn't mean it's going to impinge on your life absolutely and completely and make you an absolute mess and you can't leave the house like me. But unlike many others, didn't lose hope or faith that there was still life, but I thank my partner for that. If I didn't have my partner, I'd be long dead by now, um, mainly because in Canada, medical-assisted dying is a thing. So with my complex trauma and my uh, chronic pain, depression, anxiety, autoimmune disease, auto-inflammatory, geez, there wouldn't even be probably a waiting period. They'd probably put me down right there uh, in the office. Um, so for me... The real tragedy is not only are they not diagnosing it, not only are they not talking about how universal trauma is, they're doubling down on how harmful this behavior is. Because, like I said earlier, the first step towards healing your trauma is understanding what trauma is and how your reactions are based on that and how sometimes this stuff is out of your control and, more importantly, how you can come to get back into control. Like for me, the example I gave my wife this morning, how I think I'm starting to get better is I'm not great with my emotional regulation. But as I said, when I was having a discussion with a gentleman about um, politics and religion, I mean, it just started out that I was trying to help him out because the statement he made sounded so sad and apathetic. He's like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, things are just good. This next generation, they're terrible. And I'm like, you can't see it like that. You have to have hope. It degenerate, degenerated into religion and politics in the way 
it's them versus us. He just doesn't want to listen that I was talking about it's we and us. It's not uh, me and, and them. But I was so occupied by trying to understand what he was getting at and and obviously to a certain extent trying to remain calm and and uh, and not distracted. But my hack was to watch his dog because his dog knows me uh, enough to know I don't seem like a, a risk, but at the same time, these dogs are so attuned to their owner's emotional state as well as other people. So the fact that the dog didn't even notice that, you know, we were getting a little agitated back and forth. She was just carrying on sniffing things and every once in a while she'd come up and visit me and just totally ignored him for the most part. So he didn't seem to be getting too terribly upset. I didn't seem to be getting too terribly upset. That was my little hack. Um, I mean, arguably that might be where some of these uh, service dogs might help the traumatized, but I don't think we should allow the traumatized um, to get service dogs because... I think that minimizes the, the important role that real service dogs play. Uh, again, just talking off the top of my head here, but I've seen so many people now mention they don't believe uh, in service dogs because so many people say, oh, it's a service dog, just so they can break the rules. Uh, or, you know, these people are just mentally ill uh, and they don't understand the harm they're doing. Because people really do need these, right? People with um, epilepsy, uh, blind people, and deaf, uh, I guess. I don't know all of the true uses, uh, but in my lifetime, uh, the majority now that I see are these people who aren't real service dogs, right? Because I've known these people personally, and I know they're not service dogs. They're just pretending to be service dogs, and no one will call them out on it. Well, there you go. It's the opposite of what I said yesterday. If we're living in a world where sometimes there's truths that we may or may not know to be true, but we still have to hold them as if they were true. The biggest problem with society today is we're holding on to truths that we know are not true, treating them as if they were true. This is this double think that we're all being subjected to. When they know what they're saying is an absolute lie, they know it's a lie, but they're saying as if it, as if it were true. That denatures all. right? And that's why we have so much uh, issues with this intergenerational trauma. Our indigenous folks, when they're told that they're going to uh, no longer be subject to this uh, indiscriminate traumatization, and then they don't. It's not that dissimilar from my, uh, from my mother. I came to realize that if this lady keeps coming down and she's just going to continue to re-traumatize us and make us feel like, you know, oh my God, we're the ones to blame. But the only person in this relationship that hasn't begun to grow and learn and evolve seems to be her. Right? Same as when you bring this stuff up, she just puts up a wall. I mean, that's what we're running into with uh, the medical establishment. Right? I, I do truly believe that they put up a barrier to uh, trauma because we couldn't handle it. Right? Let's be honest. 
Like, as it stands, you couldn't find uh, proper trauma treatment in Canada in our medical uh, system. So imagine if we were to tell people, oh, yes, a lot of you have been traumatized. Never mind the last couple of years, this uh, ever-moving uh, uh, finish line, the lack of hope and loss of businesses, loss of family members, loss of faith in, in our systems, loss of faith in science, medicine, healthcare, therapy, politics, you name it. All of this is going to cause oh, an incredible amount of trauma. And so if you tell people that most people are going to be subject to trauma at some point and we need to take care of this, wow, can you imagine how many people are going to come to this? Because, I mean, I'm taking these courses on this new psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and even they are scared about how many people are going to come rushing to this protocol. And those are people who already know what they need to do to fix uh, some of this stuff. Imagine if you start telling people about their traumas and, and some of their behavior that's actually could be a response to their trauma and not them per se. Because again, if you understand Buddhism, you understand this self. In science, it would be the default mode network. It's habit. This, our identity, the self, it's just habit. We can change it. Science has shown 15 to 90 days, you can change it. But when you get really bad like me, when you, what do they call it? Uh, they actually have a term for me. Uh, there's only a few uh, therapists that will even uh, work with, with uh, people as, as, as severely damaged as me uh, because it, it's all stacks upon each other, right? The, the identity I had changing my name when I was young, they changed it a week before my birth because a cousin took it. Never mind it being steeped in religiosity. And neither of my parents were into it. My father was a, a reformed Catholic. He just hated the church, but he hated the people that were in it. Pretty sure he was molested by a by a, a priest based on some of the things he talked about and, and the priest that was around at the time. Um, not an uncommon thing because uh, my wife, when she was young, uh, she said they had more than one priest around here that was known to be doing that sort of thing. So just imagine the number of traumas that they're going to be subject to having to deal with, right? It's a beautiful thing because if we were to establish a protocol that can help a number of people, right? Because that's what I'm working towards. What I realized is there's no therapist for me, right? As I said, I'm so intractable. That's what they call it. Never mind how bad I was and, and how damaged I was because of my dyslexia. So I couldn't even put together my thoughts. Like I had essentially like... Uh, Aristemia. I can't remember what they call it, but I had a hard time expressing myself, understanding my own thoughts, my own feelings, never mind putting it into words, right, because of my dyslexia and the trauma. I mean, it all builds upon each other. The, the systematic inflammation the University of Texas has found in patients even decades after, a lifetime of systematic inflammation from just a traumatic, uh, traumatic head injury. So add in all of these traumas growing up, it just builds on, builds on, builds on. So the real trauma of tragedy, the tragedy of trauma, is it doesn't have to be a tragedy if we were to awaken to how desperately important it is for us to manage this. Because if you run into a trauma and you manage it, you actually become more steeled to the next time. But if you run into a trauma and you allow it to develop into negative consequences, I call that trauma-informed adaptations that impinge on your life, 
Well, then the next trauma is going to do the same thing and build upon and build upon and build upon and build upon. That's the tragedy of trauma. Because if you manage someone's trauma, even one, they develop the skill set to understand how to manage others and go forward and help others. So it's the same joke that I talked about that if we were to help those that learn at an accelerated rate or in a different way, they can in turn help others that maybe learn in a different way or at a different rate. And eventually we raise all boats. But the way we're working this, helping tiny, tiny little segments, only so much, all that's serving to do is push us further and further behind. Right? So that, to me, is the real tragedy of trauma. It's the fact that waking up to how universal it is. I mean, just the course yesterday, it was an argument between the lumpers uh, and the, uh, the splitters for when they were designing the DSM-5. Some of them felt they needed more categories. Some of them felt that everyone was a mix anyways. Um, so the real miss is the universals in psychology. So they talked about some of these universals that they discovered in psychology, and they all point to a disconnection, a disconnection from the transpersonal experience, a disconnection from the metacognitive experience, a, a disconnection from our community, a disconnection from the self, a disconnection from meaning, from value. All of this boils down to a community that's supportive. And if you're the traumatized person who feels disconnected from society and they treat you as if you're a, a leper, but in reality, it's not because of how difficult or, or because they don't know how to treat. They haven't even begun to even discuss this. It's, it's in no small part what Jung warned us, that what we fear in others or hate in others tends to be what we fear and hate in ourselves. Same as that psychiatrist who said that a majority of psychiatrists are helping people with things that they should be helping uh, themselves with, and they're not. Right? So this is why I mentioned the, the tragedy of trauma. Um, and this is why I began this uh, podcast. When I initially named it, I just named it after. In fact, it's interesting. Almadiyom was just referring to um, uh, Sanskrit, where Om has to do with, uh, it's the entirety of the universe. So the Almighty Om. We are the Almighty Om. All of us, each one of us, even uh, objects in the universe, everything is is the Almighty Om. I spelt it with the OHM because that's a measure of resistance. That's exactly what we're supposed to be working on. I found out it's a little too opaque, right? Because this measure of resistance to the unity, Om, is this awe that we're all meant to embrace. So our resistance to embracing this sense of unity is the tragedy of trauma because this disconnect is the very heart of our trauma because it's been shown that those with a strong connection uh, to the self and to others actually are much more able to survive even some of the most intense and horrible traumas. So it's this connection to ourselves and to others 
And there's the tragedy of trauma again. Because if society is ostracizing those that need the help the most, it's not only denaturing the patients, the traumatized, it, it denatures everybody. Right? You can't turn your back on humanity and expect that your humanity is going to hang around. 